Hello, welcome to You Don't Know Mojack. My name is Ryan. My name's Brent. And this episode, we're discussing SST 190, the Das Damen Triskaidekaphobe LP. Really looking forward to getting into this one. We are fans of Das Damen. They've got a great story. It's been a while since we've had them on the show, since SST 95, I think. Mm-hmm. And I, I was thinking about last week's episode, Brant, when really, you know, on repeated listen of this record this past week, the comment from Jim Ruland when he was speaking about Screaming Trees and Invisible Lantern, you gave that kind of spiel last week and about how the trees, Dino and Das Damen, you know, they had this arguably throwback sound but in fact in the 80s they were way ahead of their time and it totally hit me this week listening to this record yeah for sure that's kind of the trifecta of sst bands that just you know fit super well together and the hair man like oh yeah these guys i'm pretty sure dos domin had the longest hair out of any sst band oh yeah i love the videos i love seeing like Jim's got the long hair. Alex has got the long curly hair and that wicked leather vest all the time. And then Leopold. Yeah. Oh, they had style, man. Like you'll see Alex wearing like a, uh, like a shirt with a ruffled collar and a vest. Oh, they wear, they, they wear puffy shirts, man. Yeah. It looks cool. Yeah. It looks really cool. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, before we get into it, why don't you hit us with some spiels? Okay, Ryan. This week's spiel is called I Need Lunch. Okay. So I watched the Lydia Lunch, The War Is Ah. Never Over documentary by Beth B. Beth Beth has the history and cred. She came up making indie movies in the no-wave scene in the late 70s and 80s, many which featured Lydia like Black Box, The Offenders, Vortex is one of the more well-known ones. Uh, There's tons of Lydia's collaborators in the film like Henry... Thurston, Richard Kern, speaking of New York filmmakers, uh, J.G. Thurlwell, uh, her rec- or like her current band, Retrovirus, which is Bob Burt, Tim Dahl, and Weasel Walter, follows them on tour a bit. Lots of great archival footage, amazing interviews with Lydia herself. You know, she's fierce as hell and just pulls yeah. no punches. Uh, she's just a total icon, and hopefully this film helps establish that maybe a little more firmly in the mainstream yeah she definitely is not mainstream but you never know yeah have you ever seen that footage of lydia and exine zervenka being interviewed by nardwar mm-hmm. <laughs> they, they they really uh lay into them eh? yeah. it's pretty good yeah uh podcast shout out ryan coincidentally it didn't have anything to do with watching the the documentary but i listened to byron coley get interviewed on lydia's podcast the lydian spin Ah. Uh, I don't know if we've ever talked about that before. It, it's co-hosted by Tim Dahl from her band Retrovirus. Um, she's had some really great guests on there, like Rick Froberg. Andy Chernoff has been on oh, there. Cool. Uh, Dictators. Yep. Mojack Pod alum Mark Hosler. <laughs> <laughs> For sure, eh? Yep. Uh, Bobby Gillespie of Primal Scream. Martin Rev was a guest on there, Melvin Gibbs, many more. Uh, Byron talks about, you know, music journalism, forced exposure, feeding tube records, a a lot more. But he mentions in this interview that, you know, he and Thurston previously collaborated on an amazing book called No Wave, Post-Punk Underground, New York 76 to 80. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, Lydia penned the introduction to that. Pretty much the definitive document uh, it's chock full of photos, and it's basically an oral history. But Byron mentions in this interview that he, Thurston, and Swedish free jazz sax player Mats Gustafsson have a new book coming out, probably early next year, I think he says, on the 100 greatest free jazz albums of all time. Whoa. Yeah. That's that's wild. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's super exciting. And Ryan, it made me think of this, uh, another documentary that I'm not sure we've mentioned go over to firemusic.org. The documentary is called Fire Music. It's the story of free jazz uh, made by Tom Sergil. It's a documentary on the history of free jazz, which is currently playing in kind of select theaters. Looks looks amazing, though. Yeah, yeah. In addition to that Thurston and Byron No Wave book, there is a good book on soul jazz records. 
You know, they, they yep. put out those no wave comps. There's yep. an accompanying book that's pretty good too. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I was on a total Lydia kick all week. So I threw on the double CD Widow Speak, which is a really good compilation. She compiled it herself. If anybody's looking for a good primer on Lydia, if you can find it, it kind of touches on her entire career with Teenage Jesus and the Jerks, Eight-Eyed Spy, her bunch of her collaborations with Clint Ruin, a.k.a. J.G. Thurlwell, Roland, Thurston, Lee Ronaldo, and Sonic Youth. So that's really good. And I gave a spin to her 2007 EP with Omar Rodriguez Lopez, which has other members of the Mars Volta on it. That's really good jazzy prog fusion with Lydia kind of doing her thing over top. Uh, Adrian Gonzalez scronking on sax from the Mars Volta. Ah. And then Ryan, I know we talked about this a long time ago and I actually didn't have this. So I tracked it down her heart of darkness EP with no trend from 85. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. It's really good. Kind of uh, post punk in like the flipper vein with Lydia kind of plays a supporting role. I would say she's mm-hmm. not like the, the lead singer, but it's good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and if Ryan, if you want to hear more from her current band Retrovirus, which is basically a vehicle for, you know, doing a live retrospective of her career, uh, there's a re- couple of really good live documents. The Retrovirus live album from 2012, recorded at the Knitting Factory, and then they have a live in Zurich 2016. Such a killer band, amazing players. Walter Weasel, the guitar player, just has the chops to pull off all of the the different eras and all the different players that Lydia played uh, with. Yeah, yeah. But he puts his own spin on it. It's really good. Cool. What do you have, Ryan? Ah, okay. Brant, my, uh, I've got a few, just some quick uh, notes here on some stuff that I noticed that looks really cool. Blatant Descent. Do you know that band, Brant? Blatant Descent. Yeah, but I can't think of why. Sounds really okay. familiar. Okay, so this is a punk band from DeKalb, Illinois, who evolved into the band Tar. Mm. They've got a great LP on Glitter House from 1987 called Hold the Fat, as well as some singles. A pretty great, actually, like punk record with some awesome naked ray gun vibes, for sure, in a really, really good way. Their entire recorded output has been remixed by Steve Albini and will be released in the spring of 2022 on Alona's Dream Records. This is the label that has uh, put out some records by, well, that record by Silver Abuse, some Necros releases, Trial by Fire. Uh, It's a pretty cool label, obviously, like, super tied to Chicago. But I've always really dug Blatant Descent and Tar and anything kind of uh, that those guys touch but really looking forward to some remixed blatant descent that will be one to look out for for sure mm-hmm. now the other one i wanted to mention brent remember when we were talking about that band grave goods yep. and that late 80s melodic hardcore sound and scene i think it was maybe when we first spoke about it it was on an episode where we were covering a blast record and we were talking about wishing well records does that ring yep. a bell? Yep. You had a, a whole spiel about how you were craving grave goods or something. Subsequent to that. Okay. I'm still obsessed with them. I just, I still, I just listened to that grave goods record again, like yep. two days ago. And I really hope that book, We Can Be the New Wind, will mm-hmm. cover grave goods. I really, really hope so. Um, anyways, we also talked about a band really quickly, really briefly called Free Will. And their record, Sun Return, from 1988, that was supposed to come out on Wishing Well, but was eventually released on New Age Records. So Free Will has a new record in 2021 called All This Time on Unity Worldwide Records, that label that is associated with those new Field Day releases, the Dag Nasty guys. It sounds good. It totally has a similar vibe to the old free will but a more current sounding take on it really recommend checking that one out and i'm just loving these bands who are you know dusting off the instruments and coming back like moving targets and now like free will love it yeah man and then finally brant i wanted to mention another total throwback spiel here i think you know i've got a bit of a throwback theme on these spiels do you know the band 
Fingerprints with an S. Yep, we've talked about them before. Uh, is that who's in that band? Is someone on the tree in that band? Steve Felstad uh, on yep. bass. Yep. So, so Fingerprints. They released three singles on Twin Tone. No surprise there. 1978 to 1980. They are having like a complete recordings release coming out. Uh, it's actually out now. Sorry, and. It's called Where the Beat Goes On. It cover. It looks to cover their complete recorded output from 78 to 80. Some of the articles call it the long-lost Twin Tone album. I'm not exactly sure how that works. Um, I'll be able to figure that out, hopefully, once I get the liner notes. It's released on Blackberry Way Records. 24 tracks spanning the three years. Um, a really foundational proto everything in the 80s minneapolis band definitely worth checking out they're touted as rock and roll blues glam and prog sounding a really weird mix you know that late 70s i don't know what to categorize it type of music definitely worth worth checking out and it also reminded me i don't think we've mentioned this book but just in case we haven't this book here called complicated fun the Birth of Minneapolis Punk and Indie Rock, 1974 to 1984 by Sin Collins. This is on the Minnesota Historical Society Press. It's a great book. It's actually, you know, has like a deep dive on bands like the Fingerprints, which are covered nowhere else. Mm -hmm. And just a great history of that era of Minneapolis. Of course, it gets into um, some SS tree stuff, some amphetamine reptile stuff, um, but replacements, Husker Du, et cetera, et cetera. Worth checking out. But go and check out the Fingerprints supposed long lost twin tone album on Blackberry Way Records. All right. We're going to be heading over to Minneapolis pretty soon here in a couple more weeks. Exactly. That's all I got, man. You want to uh, test your fear of the number 13? It is Halloween today, by the way. It is. Let's do it. History Lesson, Part 1. All right, Brant, like I said, it's been a while since we've had Das Daman on the show. Just a quick reminder, though, Das Daman formed 84 New York from uh, out of the, the New York hardcore band, The Misguided, where Jim Walters and Alex Totino, both on guitar and vocals, came from that band, started Das Daman. The lineup on this record is with Lyle Heisen on drums, and Phil Leopold Von Trapp on bass. We covered their first release, which originally came out on Thurston Moore's label, Ecstatic Peace, in 1986. That was SST40, and we actually had Alex Totino on the show. Great interview there. Go back and check that one out. And then we also covered their second release, Jupiter Eye, which was SST95, where we had Lyle Heisen, Jim Walters, and Brian Long on the show. Yeah, so... I do have to make one cor correction there, Ryan. The bass player on this album is actually Amadeus Totenhosen. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Mm -hmm. That's right. He doesn't go by Phil Leopold von Trapp on this, although he is totally, totally rocking the eight-string aluminum neck Kramer bass guitar on this record all over the place. Love it. Yeah. So I found something just very briefly in Stephen Blush's New York Rock book. He doesn't really have much on either band, unfortunately, but here's a little thing on the Misguided and Lyle's kind of hardcore cred, street cred. He says, The Misguided made 1982's Bringing It Down 3-song 7-inch and 1983's 4-song Options 7-inch. Lyle Heisen, the damaged goods zine publisher and New York University kid, who brought Rick Rubin into the scene, also did Damaged Goods Records, behind the very first New York hardcore record, Heart Attack's God Is Dead EP. Heart Attack, Ryan, was Jesse Mullins' band in junior high school, Jesse later of Degeneration and Solo. And then it says later in the book, Punky Long Hairs, fronted, this is in reference to Doss Dahlman, Punky Long Hairs, fronted by Jim Walters, rocked like Red Cross, but not as pop inspired a young Kurt Cobain. That's something you hear a lot yes. in reference to Das Dahman. Proto-grunge, psychedelic rock, lots of Stooges references. So that's a not an uncommon comment that you'll hear. Oh, so I did get a few things from Jim 
and Lyle and mostly from Alex Totino to kind of bring us up to speed on this record. For sure. (laughs) (laughs) Recorded at, it was recorded at Waterfront Studios, Hoboken, New Jersey, engineered by Ray DeLeo. Uh, Alex is pretty sure he worked for the studio, Ray did. Alex says he was great, an interesting contrast to Wharton. He was a little more polished and modern. Mm-hmm. Wharton, Ryan is of course Wharton Tears, who produced this record and produced their the EP and Jupiter Eye. Yeah. Wharton is everywhere too. I was actually just listening to a, a Dino, Dinosaur Jr., Warner Brothers era 7-inch seven, seven and Wharton Tears, I saw Wharton Tears like on that this morning you know he's ev- everywhere yeah uh it says on the lp it was recorded during the period 12 27 87 and 1 27 88 alex says the sessions were spread out our dinky budget permitting we recorded the tracks live and then did vocals overdubs and fixed mistakes i'm proud to say that it was mostly our live sound in a less chaotic atmosphere Wow, it was cold. Not Canada cold, but boy, that walk from the PATH station <laughs> to the studio was a doozy. PATH being the, I believe, the train from New York into New Jersey. So Jim Walters told me, he he goes randomly, Lenny Kravitz was recording Let Love Rule in the same studio during that period. He played us some early mixes when we crossed paths. I believe he was recording during the day and we recorded it at night. He was still known as Romeo Blue then oh so i don't know anything about lenny kravitz's history i think that's probably his debut album i did not know he was calling himself romeo blue that's hilarious yeah that is hilarious i'm pretty sure that well i'm pretty sure that's his like his it may not be his first album but it was his breakthrough major label record right Hmm. okay we'll get into this a bit more when we go through the tracks ryan but Alex mentioned, you know, with tracks like 555 and another one called 7, that they had an obsession with numbers. Mm. He goes, I was looking through a dictionary for something pertinent for our third record. Try, T-R-I, and try again, and pow, Trisk. We used a Triskelion symbol, which is, I think, what you see on the LP label. The legs. Yep. Uh, which Alex says he also has tattooed on on himself, that the try skellion uh symbol so they called the ended up calling the album triskaidekaphobe it's an extreme superstition regarding the number 13 you see lots of hotels and buildings that skip the 13th floor uh cruise ships apparently do this a lot following the apollo 13 disaster the u.s space program changed its numbering system entirely all because of triskaidekaphobia this came out in 1988 on cd lp and cassette kind of gathering it was you know the band really put a lot into this record like it was mm-hmm. it was uh they knew they they were onto something with this one kind of a yeah. culmination of the ep and and jupiter eye i got ryan from our podcast pal jim ruland the press kit for marshmallow conspiracy which we'll be getting to ah. sometime next year but in keeping with sst tradition the press kit has generally reviews and articles referencing the previous release so most of the stuff in here is a reference to to this record so here's a an article from village voice during this era written by Lori s in a cartoon dos Daman would be one-eared rabbits hopping over cracks in the sidewalk and making sure there weren't any scheduled gigs on friday the 13th Check them out on a night with a full moon and watch what happens. The outcome could be one of the most amazing live shows ever hurled in your direction, or a genuine Das Aster. <laughs> Their current tour, following in the long line of fatalistic dominisms, is appropriately called the Tragical History Tour. Their new record, Triskaidekaphobe, comes the closest yet to their live sound, when in full throttle their songs move between chaos and control, Ear-gouging hooks are layered with blasts of intricate melodies. Acid-drenched guitar feedback is immersed in a vat of distortion. Merciless pounding and haphazard bass chords collide with screams that swerve into atonal warble. 
the Domin's muster confusion that gravitates from slabs of fragile pop to chunks of molten rock. Later on, Laurie says, by the time their debut EP emerged on Thurston Moore's Ecstatic Peace label, the Domins had become a band that would turn heads at SST. While their follow-up album, Jupiter Eye, shouted of things to come, Triska Decaphobe confirms that Dos Domin have, have found a niche, but not a pigeonhole. Here's later on a, in a different article from the Daily Northwestern by Matt Sweeney. I wonder if it's that Matt Sweeney. From Chavez. Yeah. Dos Domin's Alex Tontino on waiting for his band's new record to be released. I know it sounds corny, but it's like giving birth. It really is. No matter how much faith you have in the songs, you've got to wait until other people hear it to get any kind of real satisfaction or whatever. Jim Walters, the band's other guitarist, feels the same way. I'm really anxious to hear what people think of the album. We cut ourselves and bled doing this thing. Then later on, Matt says... So how's the new record? Well, it kicks serious ass. It's amazing. You should buy it. It eclipses their previous two re records, and those kick ass too. Alex and Jim have got a melodic and textured two-guitar thing going that sounds like television playing through Marshalls. Phil is the master of eight-string bass chord rock. Lyle Heisen is the most fully realized powerhouse drummer around these days. The vocals are in your face with no more mud-mouthed underground mix. Alex has got the belt voice, Jim's is the expressive one, neat vocal harmonies, especially on siren plugs, and sonic dynamics all over the place. Dos Domin is also among the top live acts in the country. Brand, let me read you a spiel out of Andrew Earle's excellent book, Gimme Indie Rock, okay, on this record. Yep. Now, a Andrew, of course, has got 500 releases in here. What, what he held out as you know, the cream of the crop of this era, 1981 to 1996, and the best records by those particular artists. And this is the only entry by Das Damen in his book. And here's what he says. NYC's Das Damen's debut mini album was the first title to carry the logo of Thurston Moore's ecstatic piece label. But the band quickly signed to SST for a re-release, which was followed by debut full-length Jupiter Eye in 1987. But Das Domin should be remembered most for the high-energy, high-volume 70s psych metal, as translated through first-wave heavy indie rock featuring big, sticky hooks of Triskaidekaphobe, which means the fear of number 13. An album that shares much of its charm and attack with what the Screaming Trees were doing at the same time, and lacks the head-cleaning noise detours of the band's contemporaries. Triskaidekafo became one of the many late-period SST titles that could have ruled college radio, but instead took over the cutout bins for the next 25 years. Mm. And, and unfortunately, he's right, but hopefully we can change a bit of that too, right? Yeah. This This is definitely, though, like... Matt Sweeney, if that is the Matt Sweeney, in his article talking about, you know, this is this is the culmination, this is the pinnacle of Das Domin at the time, but the first two are still really good as well. Totally agree with that. Um, Andrew, in his book, talks about how subsequent Das Domin records, like the the one that we won't be covering on Twin Tone, kind of get a little little more polished and maybe a little syrupy where you know like not as good because they get more polished i actually disagree with that i mm. think that all dos domin is good from start to finish um, the live record is killer like it's yeah. all good yeah. it's all good all right ryan let's go through the tracks history lesson part two brent before we do the tracks we must do a quick detour into the mind of the spaceman all right here we go. From the SST catalog, here's the description of Das Damen Triskaidekaphobe. These guys are nice. They all have lots of hair and friendly friends. Why do they sound like the city of New York ripping free of its foundations and blasting off to Jupiter? It must be the water or something, or more likely, it's because they all share a mortal fear of the number 13. SST 190, LP, cassette, and CD. 
All right. I only have it on CD. So, uh, but I know what side A and B is, but uh, there's some missing artwork on the CD, unfortunately. Mm. All right. Well, track one, side one, Spider Birds. So I got some stuff from Alex about some of these tracks. He says, another Phil masterpiece, and he sang it. Those nutty stop time signatures were us playing it like we did live. No studio chicanery. The folks who came to see us were amazed we could pull it off live. A crowd pleaser for sure, but once Phil quit, the constant requests to play it were heartbreaking. Even with our quips and comebacks, we couldn't do it without its creator. So he's, he's referencing Phil leaving the band, which he did after, after at some point. I don't know if he toured this record or... We'll hopefully cover that off when we get to Marshmallow Conspiracy, which is an EP that I believe all the tracks came out of this session for. Mm. which Phil plays on, but at some point after that, he left the band. Yeah, and Alex is, of course, referencing there are some weird, weird stop-and-start time signatures in this track that are, are very jarring, but totally work. Yeah, I couldn't, no matter how many times I listened to this, I couldn't get the air drumming down. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, yeah. I like it. This is one of those songs that if you were in the crowd and you were bumping your head to the song and everyone is just grooving when it would hit that part the whole crowd would lose it would yeah. lose its place and then and then there would be you know that guy next to you that's like i didn't lose my spot i didn't lose my spot and he's back and like no man you totally don't have it either yeah i hear a bit of a fire hose vibe i know they played a lot of shows together so you know maybe great lyrics from phil uh, i love that break about a minute in with the wah pedal Mm. Definitely an epic song. The College Music Journal review calls this Paisley Spattered Wawad Power Chords. Great opener. Track two, Reverse Into Tomorrow. This is the A side of the promo single PSST 190. And it says, yeah, it says on there, Ryan, from the upcoming album. So I, I'm assuming that came out prior to the, to the LP. Must have been, yeah. And it's also side Nietzer and side Ebb. Yeah. The single. <laughs> I was going to mention that. Yeah. Alex says, this is my ode to mod culture and a tip of the hat to Trouser Press, one of our Bibles. And an indictment of how punk and hardcore was getting diluted by carpetbagger dipshits. My first official lead vocal. Awesome the way Phil plays with the guitars, like the interplay. Oh, this sweet bass lines on this yeah. track for sure man great yelled esque type of vocals great background vocals too that everyone was going to copy three years from then yeah alex is a great singer too uh, and what i'll call the solo section or the, like the breakdown is super cool in this song and and again he's talking about mod culture like these guys just had mad style for sure oh, yeah yeah Track three, Pendant. Alex calls this a Jim Toe Tapper. He plays the main opening riff. Beautiful Les Paul Marshall mangling. Looking back, we should have let him play. We should have let him lay the lead down too. Oh well, if we ever play it live again, he's got my blessing. So I think what he's saying is that that's Jim with that kind of blistering lead right out of the gate. Oh yeah, that's like a Jay Mascus level fret melter. It's so yeah. deadly. Yeah, Alex, I think, plays the the solo, which is super gnarly. I hear a Mascus influence. Like, I don't want to say a direct influence because they were contemporaries in my mind, but I can definitely hear why they got comparisons. Oh, yeah. With that, that like, when this song comes on, I'm like, okay, so, you know, Das Damen and Dinosaur Jr. were drinking the same water. Yeah. This one has the great line, and there are days that I put the Walkman on. Mm. that's every day for me yeah yeah there still are days like that yeah. for sure not enough ira robbins in trouser press speaking of you know that being their bible uh says this one takes a driving and textured husker do approach and cuts it up with an unexpectedly delicate bridge mm. track four seven alex says it was supposed to have singing but it worked out as an instrumental break pretty much live as i recall uh, Lori S. in that in a Village Voice article calls it their obligatory SST instrumental powered by Lyle Heisen's <laughs> ammo-style cadences 
exploding into phased shifted guitars. Obligatory SST instrumental, hey? Yeah. Love that. <laughs> this one's definitely a tour de force for all four of the guys. Uh, the guitar interplay, the tone, the effects, Lyle's drumming, Phil going off at the end of the song. Yeah. I have written down here, they, Jim and Alex, probably used every effects pedal they had on this track. <laughs> uh, track 5, 555 five, five is the name of it. Alex says, something Jim and I worked out over a few Guinness. All my lyrics, but it was better with Jim doing the main part and me doing the chorus. And, which he added a question mark after, which to me indicates that it doesn't actually have a chorus. Mm. There is that part that I was considering to be the chorus, the louder, more pummeling section. Yeah, I think that's the part where he says, my heart beats to bleed and break. Mm -hmm. He calls the jammed section... In the middle, shameless cream slash while my guitar gently weeps stuff. Lori S. says, The product of two songwriting styles, sandwiching Sgt. Pepper marches and Amagama subtleness, ending in a raw cacophony of wailing wah-wahs, feedback, and flying wood chips from Phil's bass. On record, <laughs> the song fades, but the Dalmans milk this one live, usually breaking something in the process. You hear a lot of references in these reviews about what a great live band they were. Mm-hmm. And loud. Yeah. All right. Flipping the record over, we have Fire Joke, and the title on the album is stylized with a small F and then capitals like Fire Hose. Yeah, it uses the Fire Hose F. Yeah. So check this out, Ryan. This is from Alex. Lyle came up with the title and said the song was like a Fire Hose killing joke. Ah, Combo. nice. Yeah, I knew it was. I knew it was a fire hose reference for sure, of course, but I didn't pick up the killing joke. Nice one. Yeah, I wouldn't have picked that out if he wouldn't have made that reference. But if you listen to it, thinking killing joke, you can totally hear the the context. Yeah, yeah there's some. It's a funky er number. There's some kind of chant vocals, some serious phaser action on this track. It's it's a great opener for the B side. Yeah, Alex says, despite my vocal acumen, one of our faves to play live. Everybody mm -hmm. solos in this one. Yeah, it would have been fun. And then the next track is the B-side of the promo single, Bug. Yeah. Alex says, Bug was a blast. Jim's pop sense in overdrive. The College Music Journal said, infectious pop melody. They also shot a video for this one, Ryan, which is up on, yep. up on YouTube. Jim Walters told me the bug video was filmed at CBGB's for the live sequences and also at the World's Fair grounds in Flushing, Corona, Queens. Queens. It was filmed by Joe Klotz and Catherine Cloud. Looks like Joe has kind of a, had a lengthy career, mainly as an editor. He was even nominated for an Academy Award for Best Film Editing for Precious in 2009. Mm-hmm. Couldn't find much on Catherine. There is a writer with a number of books under the name Catherine Cloud, so maybe that's her. Definitely the poppiest song. Very hooky. Very early 90s indie rock sound. To me, this one, it kind of has that Dos Domin sound. Lots of bands soon after this would kind of do the reverse of this song structure, especially after Smells Like Teen Spirit, like the verses were quiet and then the loud choruses. This reverses that. And I Without going back and listening to it, I feel like some tracks on Jupiter Eye kind of have that same type of arrangement. Yeah. This, when I was listening to the promo single this week, you know, reverse into Tomorrow and Bug on the B-side. If this was officially released as a single, what a killer two-song power punch. Like, yeah. it would have it would have been uh, great because it's great to just keep flipping this from A to B to A to B when you're listening to it. Uh, the next song, Siren Plugs. Alex says, Lyle penned the lyrics, I wrote the music. A long tradition from the misguided days. Lyle would palm me some lyrics and I'd take it from there. The wacky guitar break was me live, having fun with a Delta Lab digital delay that I got from our old buddy, Pete Marshall, who we'll talk about a little bit more when we go into the liner notes. Pete. Uh, here's Lori S. A stop-start churn that suddenly stops and transforms into an unexpected hymn with Jim and Alex as the riffing choir boys. They trade off choruses and then accelerate through a barrage of charging pianos. Yeah, definitely some dissonant, diminished chugging chords on this. 
great vocal breakdowns, a piano glissando or two, yep. and some great call and response vocals between Jim and Alex. I think it's between Jim and Alex. Pretty sure. Yeah, that's. I think that's what he says. Yeah, I, I like the this one is another one that kind of has that song structure where it mellows out for the choruses. Mm-hmm, kind of mm-hmm. Lyle going down to the toms. Track four, Up for the Ride. Alex calls this a very personal song for Jim. Again, our bird's obsession betrayed us. This is where brother Wayne Kramer comes in. So, yes, Wayne Kramer plays on this song. Yep. He listened to the song once and then boom, this was Jim's coup. Somehow he got in touch with Mick Farron of the Deviants, etc. And Sir Mick, rest in peace, put Jim in touch with Wayne. Brother Wayne was cool as fuck. Great stories, as you can imagine. Hope we didn't come off too fanboyish. He played on this tune and the 555 Extended Mix, which we'll hear on Marshmallow Conspiracy, which is SST 218. Alex says, adding graffiti guitar. We bought beer and paid him for his awesomeness. I let him keep my rat pedal he used on the recordings. Hope he still has it. Lori S. says, longtime Domin guitar hero Wayne Kramer guest axe grinds on the most unlikely song. While one would expect the XMC5 guitarist to kick out the jams, Up For The Ride bears a true Felix Unger sensitivity. Hmm. Not sure if that's a reference to the TV show The Odd Couple or who she's referencing there. The option review that I found says, and this is from Fred Mills, as beautiful as any meat puppets or dinosaur tune, multi-tonal complexities abounding and opening up mental corridors. So I'm assuming that's Wayne Kramer playing the kind of melancholy Greg Sage leads throughout the song. Mm. And then the wah solo at the end that kind of builds with Jim screaming over top. I like how the instruments fade out at the end of this song and then it just, you hear just hear Lyle on the toms. Mm-hmm. Then we have the song Ruby Woodpecker. Here's Alex. About a certain band member's obsession towards redheads, especially natural ones. <laughs> I'm putting my guitar and vocals through the Delta Lab delay. Nobody, especially in the punk indie scene, was using a rack mount digital delay. I'd precariously perch mine on top of whatever amp head I was using. We played a short East Coast tour with Sonic Youth, and Lee started using a digital delay soon afterwards. I swear, Sonic Youth didn't start using Fenders, Gibsons, and big amps until after they started playing with Dinosaur and Das Domin. Hmm. Here's from the College Music Journal. Barely controlled chaotic sludge monster. That's what they call this song. There's definitely a psych grunge type of vibe for sure. Some demonic vocals and uh, the phaser guitar noise jam in the middle. It's definitely out there. Yeah, this is the heaviest track on the record. Love the guitar tone. I think those demonic vocals are just... Either them or stuff they sampled into that Delta Lab delay. Ah, okay. I can't, I can't tell which. It's probably the band, though. And then the last track, Ryan, Candy Corn. Alex says, our tribute to the late 80s porn store of said nomenclature. Just kidding. Another personal gym song. The title was an inside joke on how we despised that Halloween treat. <laughs> Perfect, since we're recording this on October 31st. Yeah, that's right. Some... Uh... The tambourine makes an appearance on a Das Domin record there too. Yeah. Alex went on to say, nice little tune with Lyle's specterish drums and our white album meanderings. My trusty 65 Rickenbacker 450 provided the chime and feedback. CMJ says this record has ethereal spacey textures. Kind of with Lyle's hypnotic drum pattern and the feedback, this really has a sonic youth vibe to it almost. Mm -hmm. Kind of a cool way to to end the record. Yeah, solid record. So I'll read you a, just a few reviews, Ryan, from this press kit. And thanks to Jim Ruland for sending me this. These things are just a treasure trove and they're hard to find. Not sure where this one came from, but good karma beckons for all who stray into this land of transcendental psychedelic guitar gurus. While the essential defining characteristics of Das Domin, the blending of cascading melodies, mind-expanding guitar acrobatics, 
and jaggedly sharp time changes were all to be heard on last year's Jupiter Eye, they never hinted at the riotous explosion of color that's arrived with Triskaidekaphobia. Here's from Flipside. The Domins play distortion rock in the best possible way. Loud, catchy, clever, and mega satisfying. Go see them live for the full effect, but bring your earplugs. Glowingly produced by Wharton Tears, the Phil Spector of US 80s guitar core, Triskaidekaphobe is the most sophisticated alternative mainstream guitar album since the consciousness-shattering arrival of Dinosaur Juniors are living all over me. Hmm. That's by Graham Bent. Here's from Buttrag, <laughs> the ever-reliable <laughs> zine. Yeah. Although I firmly believe they can still take it quite a bit further, Dos Domin have at long last delivered the goods promised years ago. Here's from Christine Natanel in Reflex. Throws everything from Swans and Sonic Youth to Slayer and Hendrix into the listener's ear. When Psychedelia brushes up against Hardcore with an added bit of metallic thunder melody. Complex tunes balance simple ideas for perfect harmony. Always interesting to hear who they were getting compared to back in the day. Yeah. Here's again from that College Music Journal. This album is leaps and bounds above anything Das Domin's done before and finds them expanding in both sound and songwriting. Their songs have always been garage rock with a twist. The bridge, bridges often sound like they come from totally different songs, which makes the individual tracks hard to categorize. Dahman has made the guitars the top priority here. Carefully crafting of the guitars is half of Triskaidekaphobe's appeal. What might not be so obvious at first listen is that Dahman is essentially a pop-punk band. There are almost as many hooks lurking behind the wall of guitars as there are on George Michael's album. Hail Dahman, bold as love. <laughs> Of course, when they when they're referencing pop punk, that had a different meaning back meaning then. Meaning at that point, yeah, yeah, for sure. Here's from Option Magazine: a beautiful roar that both refines and goes way beyond the lower fidelity excursions of their two previous discs. So lots of people, you know, citing this as you know the band has finally real you know is fully realized at this point. Yeah, for sure. Mighty guitars that split atoms upon contact with the atmosphere. Tuneful, striking melodies emerge from maelstroms of sonic chaos. Noisy, hard, and glamorous. Impossible? Not so. Meet Das Domin. The Das Domin lads have continued to evolve and improve. This is their most coherent, system-stimulating release yet. A searing, psychedelic edge flows around the corners of the droning, folksy hard rock. A tumultuous collision of fierce, biting power chords and subdued melodies. Add a healthy dose of hardcore and power metal and simmer in the gravy with the likes of Husker du, Sonic Youth, and Corrosion of Conformity, Ryan. What? what? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's kind Wild. of that's a, some of the stuff people were saying at the time. Regarding the artwork, Alex says, The wonderful cover was something our past and future bass player... Dave Matamid found at an Indian spice shop. Dave Ryan was in the Misguided, and he yep. eventually replaced Phil in the band post SST. I think he was in the first, very, very first incarnation of Dostaman too. That's like, a, that sounds right, actually. Yeah, and then Phil came in, and then he came back. Alex says Dave was hanging out with us like old times. He showed us that picture, and blammo, we've got our next cover. Do you know who it is? Who is it? So I was trying to find out, like, what is this an image of? Mm -hmm. The best I can determine based on my research is that this is a Hindu god called Mahakali. And this, this is what I found. The goddess Kali is one of the fiercest, strongest, and most complex deities in all Hinduism. She's a goddess of death, violence, and the doomsday. Mahakali is the cosmic form of the goddess, where she embodies the ultimate truth of the universe and holds the power of the other deities in her ten arms. And it is a feast for the eyes when you look at mm -hmm. this image and all of the ten arms. It is a, a blue lady 
sticking out her tongue with a lot of jewelry. Yeah. And and it looks like a like you know there's there's a there's a necklace of skulls, but there's also a waistband of heads and arms that presumably were chopped off by one of the weapons in the ten arms. It is a it is a wild picture. And then in the background, um, there is what looks like a bunch of her followers holding up spears and whatnot. And all I have to say is that would have been some really spicy spice that this picture was on. Yeah, the the severed head that she's probably about to add to her belt has just got blood just pouring out of it. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah. Uh, in one of these reviews, this is Joe Williams in Cashbox. The album cover illustration of a bloodthirsty Shiva with an armload of severed heads is an indication of the cruel beauty of what lies within. Ooh. I will say, though, that, you know, this goddess has, you know... Alex Totino quality hair going on too. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the back cover, Ryan, Alex told me was a painting uh, that mm-hmm. Lyle's super cool mom, Arlene, did. Yeah. The artwork on the front, it says on the liner notes, found art, do chump, which I'm assuming is Dave. And then it says, Art Fox, Sheridan Hodges, artwork collage, Don Wu. That would be the collage on the insert i'm guessing like the playing cards yeah 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 layout perfect ringlet twins guessing that's maybe someone from the band that laid it out the the collage is like you said it's got some playing cards and it looks like a xeroxed kind of thing mm-hmm. some eyes the lp version has got some some of the word well it has more wording than it has on the cd the cd has some of the wording from the LP version that's inset on this collage in the the other panel of the liner notes, along with that that three leg like the wings on the ankles, three legged image that's on the B side of the label of the LP. Really cool painting on the on the back that Lyle's mom did. It looks like mm-hmm. she probably put an X with like tape or something, and then just painted three kind of abstract paintings going in all four directions. A few of the other credits, SVT Doorstop, Wolf Knapp, there's a name we've heard before, Anti-Tam and Your Food, mm-hmm. he was in those bands. Alex's backline, Pete Marshall, Pete played in Iggy's band for a while, beat him up Skull Ring era, the Iggy and the Trolls, and it looks like he was also in an early version of Sam Hain around 85, 86. Uh, Jim's guitar nurse, Todd M, not sure who Todd is. Got some great photos of the band. Oh, yeah. Phil kind of looking like a little bit of a John Lennon beatnik, almost. Yeah, he's got that 20-pound, eight-string Kramer bass leaning up against him. Yep. Looks like Jim's got a Les Paul. Yep. Alex looks like maybe a Fender and a and his Rick. He's definitely got a Rick. I'm not sure that that is... Oh, it's an ESP, it look... maybe. Well, no. You, the the wording that looks like an ESP from far away is actually five five five, ah, but the headstock it's hard to tell, like it really does look like a Strat headstock, but part of it is a little different, and it's hard to tell if that's Alex's hair covering it, and it it really is a Strat, or it's some other kind of weird '80s guitar, um, with uh kind of a Strat, you know, maybe it's like one of those lawsuit Strat headstocks i don't know love uh lyle's paisley shirt mm-hmm. they would definitely be like they would just be oozing style and look so badass live hey ryan the lp has some dead wax side a says dumb angel which was a nickname uh, brian wilson used for his brother dennis and also was the working title for the smile album and then the b-side is i think x whiffin don't, yeah. <laughs> don't know what that means. Nor do I. There's some on, like I said, the promo single. Hit me. As well. So, uh, oh, actually, I should do this in the right order here. On the Nitzer side, it says Nest Egg. Hmm. On, the, on the Ebb side, it says Jennifer R., Murray, and Allen. Hmm. Okay. Time for the ballot result? Yeah, man. Ballot result. 
I feel like we've got a total, total trend the last few episodes where there's, you know, a really long list of potential ballot result picks. Hey, yep. Mine were spider birds reverse into tomorrow, seven bug siren plugs and up for the ride. I've got pretty much the exact same ones. I would put, I w I was kind of thinking of like going full Ruby woodpecker, but those are, those are the same ones. I kind of feel like bug or reverse into tomorrow because they were on the promo, but I could go with something else too. You pick, man. I, I love the whole record, so. Yeah. Let's do reverse into tomorrow. Okay. Hopefully uh, turn some more people onto the Domin. Done. Hey, thanks to Jim Rulin for sending in this press kit, and thanks to Alex Totino and Jim Walters for giving me some, sending us some insight into this record. Yeah, for sure. Can't wait for the next Dos Domin release. Too bad we won't get to do them all, but I'm yeah. looking forward to the next one. The next one will be the last one, Ryan. Yes, I know. I know. Uh, but, but there's two versions of it. Spoiler yep. alert. Two yep. versions. All right. Ryan, what's next week? Next week, Brant, we've got a another first-timer in the LP club here. It is SST191, the Mofungo Bugged LP. And we've got a special guest. Yeah, Robert Seitzem is on the show. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, all at Mojack Pod. We post all kinds of info and tons of pictures of the bands and albums we discuss on the show. Our blog is mojackpod.com. Please check it out for some exclusive content. If you like what we do and want to support the podcast, the best way to do that is to tell your friends about the show. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes is also appreciated. We love hearing your opinions, corrections, and feedback, so feel free to post on our social media sites and send us an email to mojackpod at gmail.com. Thanks again for all the support, and we hope to see you next week.